1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. That's the word of the Lord. I'm waiting for new glasses. Um, I'm seeing slightly double vision, actually, at the moment, so it's great to see so many people here. (laughs) 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 Boom, (laughs) boom. It might mean the sermon's twice as long as you're hoping for, though. (laughs) As Susan said, we're we're looking at the six of our six M's. And now today we're looking at messenger of the gospel. This might be the one that you think, oh no, this is the one I don't like. These ones over here, they're challenging enough, but I can cope with those. Yeah, I'd love to model godly behavior, make good work, minister grace and love, molding culture in a small way, and even speaking out for truth and justice. That, that's fine. That's being a witness, isn't it, really? This one over here, sometimes struggle with, isn't it? This is actually being a messenger for the gospel, declaring what we believe. It's that E word, isn't it? Evangelism, that we tend to avoid, or at least most of us tend to avoid. I went to the barbers. Yes, I do still go to the barbers. A couple of weeks ago, and he charges me full rate. I don't know how that works, but anyway, (laughs) I'm going to have to complain about that. So I went to the barbers a couple of weeks ago, and we normally talk about football or politics. He's quite into politics, so we talk about that. But this week, I said my wife wasn't particularly well the weekend before and she was watching the church service on Zoom and I was hoping he might pick up on the fact that my wife's not well so how is she or he might pick up that I went to church but uh, I said my wife recognized me from the back of my head while she was watching on Zoom and what he picked up on was yeah you do have your back of your head is very distinctive isn't it (laughs) so much for evangelism I did tell a couple of my friends that, and they think I've missed opportunity. I should get John 3.16 tattooed on the back of my head, so who needs enemies? (laughs) So I think most of us do find this final M the most challenging, don't we? If we live out these five over here, then we will be distinctive in our workplace. We will be fruitful. But I think most people would, would value what we're doing, wouldn't they? They would, they would value godly character. They would value making good work and all the others. But this one over here puts us slightly outside of what they're thinking. It might challenge them. Um, and they might begin to think, well, is this person intolerant or judgmental or rational or deluded? Does he really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Yes, we do. It can be quite difficult to raise what we believe in conversation with non-Christians. Not only for the response they might have to us, but also uh, we, we fear getting it wrong, don't we? We don't want to put the other person off. And so sometimes we can find it difficult to share our faith openly and honestly with people. And I think I've grouped them like this because in our minds I think we often do separate the two together this one is on its own to some extent these five are about witnessing and this one is more about evangelism this is our lifestyle 
and this one is more speaking out. One's our general witness and one's our testimony to the truth. And I think we can often find this one hard. I think there is a danger in splitting them, and I think we often do, I know I do myself, that we often do split them. And there's a danger in doing that if we focus on one side or the other. So there are some people, some Christians, who focus on being a messenger of the gospel. That's the really only true fruit. If they do these five over here, it's a means to an end. They're not really important themselves. They just give us an opportunity to be a messenger. I have some sympathy with that, and I admire people who, who have that perspective. But they can sometimes leap into conversations, can't they? And they're not really moulding culture for the right reasons and doing all the other things for the right reasons. And they can leap into conversations and twist conversations to try to fit in the gospel, which can come across as quite artificial. I think probably most of us had experiences where a person pretends to take interest in us, but really they're wanting to sell us something. I think we can recognise that fairly quickly. I hate going to look for second-hand cars. I've done it a few times, and I apologise if there's any second-hand car dealers here, but they can be a bit smooth, can't they? They come over, and yeah, you're their best friend, and it's first-name terms straight away, and before you know it, they're showing you pictures of their children. It's great. But as soon as I don't show any interest in their cars, that's it, the relationship's over. I think as Christians we can do that sometimes. We can try to manipulate people by our good works. And if they're not interested in Christianity, then we can sort of ditch them. And that's not a great way to be a witness, is it? I think an excessive focus on evangelism can lead us to seeing people as projects rather than individual people. We see them as lost souls rather than whole people that we're to love. And if they don't take an interest in following Jesus, then we tend to blame them rather than ourselves. So that's one error. I think the opposite error is we just focus on these five over here. So this error is that we live out our lives, but we don't tell people about the gospel. And I think I can identify with that one more clearly. We might tell ourselves that other Christians are better about speaking about the gospel, so let them do it. We know that they're a gifted evangelist, so maybe it's better for them to speak about the gospel rather than me. It's fine living out these five M's over here, but being a messenger of the gospel, maybe that's a step too far. I'll let my life do the speaking rather than me do the speaking. There's two problems with that, aren't there? One, if we do live good lives, then other people might just think, well, that's because that's how they naturally are, and that doesn't give the glory to God. But in my experience, I don't come across as perfect. I have failings, I have weaknesses, and some of the non-Christians that I've worked with and lived with have better lives than me in some ways. And so, again, it's quite difficult to just be a witness by my lifestyle. It would be so much easier, I think, sometimes if it's just Christians who lived out these five M's. But in my experience, that's not the case. Non-Christians can live those out as well. And often better than Christians, depending on their makeup and their backgrounds. And that's, that's a good thing. It might make our witness harder, but our front lines would be dreadful places to live and work if that wasn't the case. So living out the five M's, I think, is important in their own right. They're not just a means to an end. But we do need to speak about the gospel as well. And there's that tension. In my mind, I do see these as slightly separate. And I alternate between the two. 
I live most of my life doing this. So in my front lines, I'm focusing and I'm praying that my life will be different, that I will be able to model godly character, work hard, minister grace and love, mold culture, and be a mouthpiece for truth and justice. But this one I find difficult. And then the stress builds up. I might hear a talk on evangelism like this. And I think I've got to go and share my faith somehow. So I go out there and I force the conversation or I I do it when it's not appropriate, which is not great. Evangelism coming from that pressure that builds up, that sense of guilt or stress, is not a great way to witness to people. So I think focusing on just one side or the other is not great, but alternating between the two is not great either. And I can certainly, I've experienced all of those errors, I think, at various times. So instead of dividing up the six M's, we should see them as all working together. We should seek to get the right balance between being a witness in our lives and evangelism in what we say. Not focusing on one to the exclusion of the other and not alternating between them, but having a right balance between witness and evangelism. I'm very conscious in this talk about the danger of trying to give easy answers to evangelism. Evangelism is is deeply mysterious and it's God who works. And as you've probably realised, I'm not sharing from a great strength. But as I've thought about this topic over many years, I think there are three broad principles that have helped me on my front lines to be both a witness for the gospel but also a messenger for the gospel. And the first principle is that evangelism is primarily God's work. It's not primarily something we do, it's something that God does in people's lives. We do have a role to play in evangelism, but it's God who's drawing people to himself. I think if we see evangelism as something we primarily do, then the stress builds up on us and we go out and we become salvation sellers, we become salespeople. And we can measure our success in how well conversations have gone or how many people we've led to Christ. But it isn't our job to force people into the kingdom. It's God who's drawing people to himself. And as I read the Gospels, that's how I see Jesus acting. Jesus went about his life and people came to him. He didn't force the conversation. He listened to where the person was and he moved them one step further on. I think our responsibility is to walk closely enough with God to see what he's doing in other people's lives and then to be sensitive about how we can partner with God. Evangelism is our obedience to the Holy Spirit, I think, to his promptings. How is he working in other people's lives? How is he working on our front lines? And how does he want us to get involved to show his love and his truth? It's not about us forcing the issue. And I think this principle here that evangelism is primarily God's work drives us to prayer. It makes us dependent on him. It's the importance of praying for those who haven't yet come to faith. As we pray, we recognize that salvation is is something that God does and not something we do. And again, that's what Jesus did, isn't it? He prayed often for people. He was praying for people to come into his life and that he would be able to meet their needs in various ways. So I wonder, sitting here today, are there particular people that come to mind that God might be asking you to pray for? 
people on your front lines. Maybe there's one particular person that comes to mind at the moment. You might be surprised about who that person is. You might be horrified about who that person is that God's calling to mind for you to pray for and to witness to. Who is it on God's heart, on your front line, that God is calling you to pray for and to love? You can pray for them. You can ask others to pray for them. You can ask God to help you genuinely love that person, to genuinely want the very best for them, to understand them and to appreciate them. God is at work in that person's life and he wants you to be involved as well. We don't have to be anxious or driven, I don't think, about evangelism. But we should be intentional. We should be praying for people and looking for opportunities. The second principle I think that's really important is that evangelism is primarily a process, not an event. If we see evangelism as an event, something we do, then it just becomes another tick list, doesn't it? You might go out and share your faith and think, goodness, for that I don't have to do that for another couple of months. But that's not evangelism. Well, that's not the way it should be. Some Christians think you haven't really witnessed unless you go through a, a set plan for salvation or if someone accepts Jesus into their life. It's great when that happens, of course, and I've had the privilege of doing that. But often that's at the end of a very long process and often it's lots of Christians having an impact on that person's life. It's a process. Jesus himself answered people's questions and made statements that got them thinking. He didn't often give a clear presentation of the gospel, did he? The closest he comes is probably with Nicodemus. But even with Nicodemus, he was responding to his questions. Jesus listened to where people were, and he challenged them where they were. But most of all, he loved them. Third principle that I want to just focus on, the last one, is that evangelism is primarily based on a personal relationship. I don't think evangelism always requires a deep friendship. It doesn't necessarily lead to close friendships even. But I think it does require that element of trust between you and the other person. I think the trust comes as we live out these five M's. As we live out our lives in front of them, then we can build trust as we take an interest in them as we live out godly behavior as they see our character as we treat others with grace and love as we care about others they will begin to trust us and again that's exactly how Jesus lived isn't it the more we love people I think the more we will want to share with them and the more people are willing to listen to what we've got to say I've written down here that's evangelism based on grace rather than guilt We shouldn't go out this morning thinking, I've got to share my gospel with the person God's brought to mind. We need to go out and love that person and meet them where they are. Of course, if it is based on relationship, we need to be involved with non-Christians, don't we? Howard Henricks, a Christian writer, has said that most new Christians have no contact with non-Christians after three years of becoming a Christian. So it takes most new Christians about three years to eliminate all non-Christians from their lives. That's a tragedy, isn't it? We can't influence people unless we're involved with their lives. And Jesus didn't ask us to be taken out of the world 
but to be protected by Satan. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. So we do need to be involved with non-Christians, and that might be a challenge. How can we do that? Do we need to go out and join organisations? Do we go out and meet where non-Christians are, rather than expecting them to come to church? Building relationship takes time, uh, but God's not in a rush. It's his timetable, not ours. I think as I thought about relationships, what characterise a, a good relationship? I think asking questions is characteristic of good relationships. Listening to the other person is characteristic of a good relationship. And honesty is a characteristic of good relationships. I think as many Christians we think we have to live perfect lives and if we don't do that we don't have the right to share the gospel. But that's just not true, isn't it? We're not promised to be transformed immediately when we become a Christian. We don't suddenly become perfect. It takes time and we won't become perfect until we get to heaven. But secondly, I think people are put off if they only see us being perfect, putting on the Christian act. I don't think people can identify with that. So I think the best conversations I've had with people, non-Christians, is when I've shared weaknesses and struggles and difficulties because that resonates with people's lives. People are living tough lives and they want to know that Christ makes a difference in those situations. And he does. God gives us strength. He gives us his presence. And he gives us patience to endure. Today's reading was always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter doesn't say always be prepared to answer every difficult question that might be thrown at you. I'm pretty glad about that. If someone does ask you a really difficult question about the Trinity or resurrection or whatever, it's okay to say that's a really good question and I'll have to get back to you on that or I'm not quite sure. Let me find a book that I could share with you. It doesn't mean the other person has won the argument. We're not trying to win arguments. And the word that Peter uses about reason, I don't think it's limited to just logical arguments. Each of us here has personal reasons about why we follow Christ. It's not just an intellectual debate, is it? We all have deeply personal reasons for why we follow Jesus. And we don't have to convince people of the truth of the gospel. That's God's job. Our job is to genuinely love people in our lives and to share experiences of life with them. And as we do that, then our faith will come out naturally. Faith is an important part to each of us, I'm sure. And as we share with people, our faith will come out as well. So just to finish, each of us has different front lines, because the people on our front lines are different, and the dynamics are different. In some contexts, it's hostile to the gospel. Sometimes it's indifferent to the gospel. Sometimes people are open to the gospel. I think all of our front lines are different. But whatever your front line is like, some things are the same for all of us. God has put us there for a reason. God is with us. And God is working already on our front lines. Amen.